Rabel, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? This morning I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. This is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, today is Reformation Sunday. And you might be wondering, well, why does that matter to me? And why are we making such a big deal about this? What's with all the trumpets and the bagpipes? Why do we celebrate Reformation Day? What's the point? Does the Reformation still matter? Well, this morning, I want to show you through the Lord's Prayer why the Reformation still matters. 503 years ago tomorrow, a priest named Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of a church in Wittenberg, Germany. He did this in order to protest the selling of God's forgiveness. You see, forgiveness was being sold in the form of indulgences. An indulgence was a certificate that the Pope granted to forgive sins in this life and in purgatory. And there were those who were in leadership in the church that were selling indulgences in order to pay for the church. And this is the reason why Martin Luther wrote his 95 Theses. I want you to just listen to a couple of them. This is number 21. Therefore, those preachers of indulgences are in error when they say that by the Pope's indulgences, a man is freed from every penalty and is saved. In other words, there is no man, not even the Pope, who has the power to forgive sins. No man. This is number 28. It is certain that when the coin jingles into the money box... Greed and avarice can be increased, but the result of the intercession of the church is in the power of God alone. If no man has the power to forgive sins, not even the Pope, not even by our own payment, then it is only by the power of God and his power alone that we are saved. You see, these 95 theses mark the beginning of the Reformation and the recovery of the gospel that forgiveness cannot be bought because Jesus has already paid for it, can only be received by the grace of God through faith alone. 
500 years later, the gospel is still at stake. And though indulgences are not being sold, there are many ways in which forgiveness is still up for sale. In many ways that you and I think that we can somehow still purchase our forgiveness, maybe not with money, but with the way that we live, the things that we do, the way that we act. And so this morning, we see that the Lord's Prayer is a gift of grace to us. Because in this prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, Father in heaven, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I want to look at this prayer in just two ways. The first, I want to look at the forgiveness that we need. And then I want to look at the forgiveness we're called to give. So first, I want to look at the forgiveness that you and I need. I want to look at Matthew 6, verse 12. I want you to turn with me. You can find it in your bulletin or find it in your Bible or the Blue Pew Bible in front of you. This is Matthew 6, verse 12. After Jesus teaches us to pray with great dependence for daily bread, he then teaches us to pray for an even greater need. Jesus is giving us this gift that we can go to the Father and ask for forgiveness. Look with me, Matthew 6, verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, if you've grown up around the Lord's Prayer, whether you've grown up in the church or not, if you've grown up hearing the Lord's Prayer or praying the Lord's Prayer, odds are you've probably prayed something different here. What's amazing about the most famous prayer in all of history is just how similar and identical this prayer is as it's been passed down throughout all of Christianity except for this one line. And so some of you may have grown up saying, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Others, if you may have grown up praying, Father, forgive us our trespasses. Here at Park City's Presbyterian Church, you may have noticed that we pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And so what's the difference? Does it really matter? Well, in some ways you could say that these three words are three interchangeable words that all mean the same thing. Sin, trespasses, debts. We see this here even in the Gospel of Matthew, how the idea of debts and trespasses are used interchangeably. Look with me at verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And now look at verse 14. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And so in many ways you could say, look, sins, trespasses, debts, they all really mean the same thing. But I want to tell you why I think debt is the better word to pray. And it's not just because we pray that here at PCPC. Or because Jesus uses that word here in the Sermon on the Mount, the Gospel of Matthew. Now I prefer the word debt because of what the word debt means and how it helps us understand the true nature of sin and the cost of forgiveness. When you and I hear the word sin, it's one of those church words 
that can suffer from semantic satiation. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those words that when you use it so many times, it eventually loses its meaning. So if you've grown up around church and you hear a preacher say the word sin, some of you immediately begin to tune me out. It's like, oh, there's the preacher again, right? All they ever do is talk about sin. Others of you, as you've grown up around church, you heard that word weaponized. And you heard people using sin in order to coerce you to do something that you weren't sure that you wanted to do. And so as much as we need to recover the idea of forgiveness, we need to recover the idea of sin because you cannot understand what forgiveness is unless you understand what you have been forgiven for. The Westminster Shorter Catechism defines sin in this way. It says that sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. That was written just on the heels of the Reformation. It's part of the confession that we still use today. What does it mean? Well, it's a great definition because it helps us understand sin in two ways. First, sin is when we fail to meet the standard of God. And God is a high standard. Book of Leviticus says that we are to be holy as he is holy. And so can any one of us this morning stand up and say, I am holy in the same way God is holy. Can you do that? You can't. Why? Because of sin. Even though you've been made in the image of God to be a picture and a display of his holiness in our unholy world. Just like me, you are a sinner. And what that means, far more than just immorality or doing wrong things, is that you fail to meet the standard that God has called us to. Even though you are made in his image, you are not like him because of sin. But there's another way that we think about sin. It's not just our failure to meet God's standard, but it's when God gives us commands that we intentionally hear those commands and we do something different. That is breaking God's law. The Psalms tell us that God gave us his law as a gift to us, not to lord over us, not to weigh us down, but actually for our freedom and for our good. Because every law that God has given us is for our flourishing. That if we would follow God, and follow his ways and his commands that we would experience the fullness of what it means to be human beings. But you and I, we break his law every single day. And this is why the word debt is such a good word for sin. Because when we fail to meet God's standards or when we break his law, that makes us indebted to him. You see, because we have to pay for our sin. Our wrongs must be made right. And you say, well, why is that? Why do we have to pay for sin? Well, because that's what justice is. It's why in our society, when somebody breaks laws, it's often said that the perpetrator must pay their debt to society. Wrongs must be made right. But here's the problem. 
How often do you fail to meet the standard of God's holiness? How often do you break God's holy law? If you're like me, you break it all day, every day. And that means over the course of your lifetime, your debt is getting higher and higher and higher. More than that, we're not just breaking any law. We're breaking God's law. His infinite holiness demands an infinite debt. That is a debt that you and I cannot pay. Apostle Paul talked about it like this, Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death. Our debt is so great that the only way to pay for it is with our very lives. That is a soul-crushing debt. And if any of you have ever been in financial debt before, you know what it looks like to feel that weight, to be completely uncertain how you are going to get your way out of it. This is the kind of crushing debt that sin puts us under. And no one, not me, not you, can pay for it. This is why the Lord's prayer is such a gift. Because Jesus, by his grace, has invited us to go to our Holy Father and ask him for forgiveness. What a bold, what an audacious prayer. Can you imagine going to the bank and carrying all of your debt with you and asking for the manager and saying, can you just forgive this? <laughs> and that's exactly what Jesus is inviting us to do. To go to the high king and to ask for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. And this is an amazing grace because it recognizes not only that you and I can't pay the debt, but that God alone has. The Apostle Paul put it this way, Colossians 2 verse 13, and you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Because of sin, you and I have a debt that we can never pay. And because of grace, Jesus Christ paid it all on the cross with his own blood. And so what I want you to see this morning is that forgiveness is not free. It's costly. So costly that Jesus paid for it with his own blood that you and I could receive it freely by grace alone. And yet, every day, even 500 years after the Reformation, we somehow forget that. 
we forget that Jesus really did pay it all. And this is the other reason why the Lord's Prayer is such a grace. Because notice where this prayer comes. Forgive us our debts. It comes right after. Give us this day our daily bread. How often are we to pray for God's provision? Every day. How often are we invited to pray for God's forgiveness? Every day. You see, the truth is, you and I, as Christians, if you are a Christian this morning, we still need the gospel. We need it every single day because we still sin every single day. And so God, by his grace, has not only given us salvation and invited us to pray for salvation once and for all, but he's also invited us to pray for our sanctification as well. You see, I think something has happened in the last several decades of evangelical Christianity. That on one hand, we hear the cry of the Reformation that you're saved through faith alone and not by works. And we say, okay, good, I'm justified by grace. But then we go on living as if we are sanctified by works. We believe in our heart of hearts that we're saved through faith alone, by grace alone, but now in this life we live as if somehow we have to earn it. And so we go through life just weighed down by the debt of sin and guilt that was never ours to carry. And Jesus says, pray this, forgive us our debts. A daily prayer knowing that Jesus paid it all on the cross, not only for our justification, but also for our sanctification as well. You see, because forgiveness is powerful. Powerful not only to save us, but powerful to change us too. So the second thing I want you to know, I want you to know that not only are we forgiven by grace, but I also want you to know that by grace, we are called to forgive. I want you to look at the second part of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Matthew 6, verse 12. Notice what he says. Pray this. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, what is that supposed to mean? Is Jesus saying that forgiving others is a condition for divine forgiveness. After all, isn't that against everything that we just said? If we're saved and forgiven by grace alone, through faith alone, then why does Jesus say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? More than that, if you go to verse 14, Jesus doesn't stop there. But in one of the few commentaries he makes on the Lord's Prayer, this is what he says. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus is saying something very hard for us. Hard not only because it seems to go against what we hold so dear that we are forgiven by grace alone, but hard because who can forgive like that? 
And so what do we do with these words? I think the Apostle Paul can help us here. Ephesians 2, verse 8, I want you to listen to what he says. He says, by grace, you have been saved through faith. His words could not be clearer. We are saved through faith, by grace. He goes on and says, this is not your doing. You can't pay for it. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. In these two verses, we have the entire Reformation. We are saved through grace, faith alone, not by works. But Paul doesn't stop there. In verse 10, Paul continues and he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our salvation is not a result in our works. But our salvation will result in works. We are saved by grace, but we are also changed by grace. And so what Jesus is telling us is that people who have been forgiven know what it means to forgive other people. And that is hard for us. Because if you understand the true cost of forgiveness, that means what Jesus is asking us to do is to forgive our debtors. There's no such thing as forgiveness is forgetting. Perhaps you've heard that before. Oh, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. No, it's always a big deal. Isn't that the truth? When someone wrongs you, it is a big deal. And to truly forgive them means that the wrong that they have done for you and the debt that they now owe you, you are going to pay. You see, true forgiveness requires us to pay for the wrong that someone else has done against us. And that is hard. But you see, that's exactly what Jesus has done for you and me. C.S. Lewis put it this way in the way to glory. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. This is hard. And it's perhaps not so hard to forgive a single injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations in daily life. And these are Lewis's words, not mine. To keep on forgiving the selfish daughter, the bossy mother-in-law, the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the deceitful son. How can we do it? Lewis says, only I think by remembering where we stand, by meaning our words when we say in our prayers each night, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. When we refuse to give grace to other people, how can we receive grace for ourselves? This is why being forgiven and forgiving others goes hand in hand. Not a work in order to 
earn forgiveness, but to realize that you do not understand God's forgiveness for you if you find it hard to forgive other people. In the same way, when you by his grace are empowered to forgive them and pay for the wrong that they have done against you, to pay for it yourself and to realize the true cost of forgiveness, how much more are you able to truly receive the grace of God's forgiveness for you, paid by Jesus Christ alone? People who have been forgiven know what it looks like to forgive other people. And this is radical because Jesus is calling us to be grace in a graceless world. To forgive others in the way that he's forgiven us in a world that has been consumed with cancel culture. Think about what our culture has become. Or when somebody does wrong, they are completely written off. Why do we do that? Because when we write them off, we are saying we are better than them. You see, cancel culture is just another way of expressing self-righteousness outside of religion. And when you fail to forgive someone else, that same self-righteousness that prevents you from forgiving another person it's the same self-righteousness that prevents you from receiving forgiveness for all your sins. And yet Jesus, by his grace, has given us a prayer. A prayer that is saturated in the gospel. A prayer that we are now given to pray every single day. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors because it is only by his grace that we can forgive other people with that kind of radical forgiveness. And it's only by his grace that we can receive the forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. Beloved, you are loved. Loved so much that God, even in his justice, loved you so much that he sent his own son to die on the cross for you. He forgave you by paying your debt. How could we not do the same for others? Apostle Peter also had a problem with forgiveness. I love Peter. He always asked the questions I wish I could ask Jesus. And later in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 18, Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, how often am I supposed to forgive my brother who sins against me? <laughs> Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 77 times. And then he tells a story, a parable, where he says that there was once a king. And this king called in all of his debts. And he sent the master to go to all the servants to collect the debts. And he went to one of the servants who owed 10,000 talents. And the servant couldn't pay. And so the master said, look, if you can't pay, then you have to go into slavery until you can pay your debt. 
And the servant went to the master and said, sir, I I can't pay it. There's nothing I can do. Please have patience with me. I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. There's not a better picture of the gospel. Our debt is way too high. We could never pay it. And yet the master, Jesus, was sent by the Father to pay our debt and forgive it once and for all. But see, the parable doesn't end there. Jesus goes on and says, when that same servant who's just been forgiven everything went out, one of his servants who owed him just a hundred denarii came to him, and that servant grabbed the one who owed him a hundred dollars, and he seized him, and he choked him, and he said, pay me now what you owe. The fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him and said, hey, please have patience with me. I'll pay you. And yet, even though this servant was just forgiven everything by the master, they refused to forgive their fellow servant. You say, well, how could anyone do that? This is the point that Jesus is making for us this morning. When you truly understand what Jesus has done for you, how could we not then carry that same forgiveness into a graceless world? And when we, by his grace and by his power, forgive others, we truly begin to apprehend and receive the forgiveness that's been given to us in Christ Jesus. By grace, we've been called to forgive. By grace, we have been forgiven. By grace, we've been given these words to pray every single day. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let's pray, Father in heaven. Oh, would you enable us to be as your people, grace in a graceless world. And we know that begins with receiving the grace that you've given for us. And so may we never tire of it. May we hold it dear. May we seek to find it deeply rooted in us. And may we even now as we sing this final hymn, familiar to so many of us, may we never lose our wonder. But may we sing and may we live according to your amazing grace. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.